Coming up on this week's show, Aiden Wayne is here to tell us how they squish everything, and we do mean everything, into their books. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome to episode 192 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Will from willcanals.com, and with me, as always, is my co-host and husband, Mr. Jeff Adams. Hi, everybody. This episode of the show is brought to you in part by our remarkable community on Patreon. We'll have more information on how you can join them at the end of the show, along with a sneak peek of what we have coming up for you next week. Well, here we are, headed into week two of June 2019, uh, and we wish you a continuous happy pride. We're going to be doing that all month long. Um, (laughs) uh, We're certainly busy. We're actually recording this episode a teensy bit early because Jeff is going to be uh, partaking in some of our local pride activities on Sunday. Yes, and there's a lot going on, at least in the state of California this week. Uh, I believe Los Angeles is celebrating pride this week as the AIDS life cycle ride comes back into L.A. this weekend. Uh, Some authors, including last week's guest, C.B. Lee, along with the podcast favorite, Annabeth Albert, are at the Ribbed Bodice on Sunday. So lots Mm -hmm. of good stuff happening all around. Oh, yeah. Speaking of good stuff, uh, this past week on Monday, June 3rd, the 31st Annual Lambda Literary Awards were presented in New York City. Uh, A couple of notable wins here. Uh, Marshall Thornton. Uh, who was on the epi- on with us in episode 104, talking about one of his books, Femme, which was a previous winner, won his third, yes, third Lammy for Late Fees, a Pink's video mystery. He won in the game mystery category, which is awesome. Congrats, Marshall. The gay romance category winner was a book called Crashing Upwards by S.C. Wynn. Now, you can see the complete list of the winners at lambdaliterary.org, and we've got a link in the show notes that will take you directly to that list. Mm -hmm. Uh, We also have some podcast news. This sort of snuck up on us and was kind of a surprise, frankly. It did. It kind of went boo. Uh, (laughs) A friend of ours from New York actually pointed that this happened. Uh, Each year, Apple Podcasts curates a pride list that gets generated as June begins, and then it kind of hangs out in Apple Podcasts all year. And this year, Big Gay Fiction Podcast is among the podcasts on that list. There's 26 shows on there, and we're among some pretty heavy hitters in the podcast realm. Uh, Dan Savage, RuPaul, Ross Matthews all have shows there, and they split it across comedy, news, relationships, and some other queer fiction podcasts. Now, there's a couple shows that we're interested to try out here. There's one in the uh, kind of queer fiction category called Gay Future, as well as one called The Two Princes, which looked like a children's book almost from its little graphic that it had. And there's one also called Queer as Fiction that we want to give a listen to. Now, if you want to check out this list, there's a, a link in the show notes that we've got. And when you click it, it'll open your Apple podcast app on your computer or on your phone. And you can see the folks that we are are in there with and thank you apple Podcasts, for for calling us out we're happy to be on that list yeah now you've recently read a book about 
podcasting. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit. Um, yeah, I'm not all fiction all the time. I do delve into the nonfiction world once in a while. Uh, recently, I finished Big Podcast by a guy named David Hooper. Uh, and as you can see, uh, if you're watching the video, uh, Big Podcast is a very big book. It is 450 pages all about podcasting. Uh, one thing you will not find in this particular book is any information on, you know, what kind of mic you should use or what kind of, you know, audio editing programming you need to uh, buy or use or or get. There's no technical information uh, in this particular book um, because uh, the moment David would have published this book, that information would have been out of print. But uh, he does have everything you could literally ever want to know about podcasting from... Uh, you know, initial concepts for a show to, you know, the kinds of show, whether you want to do a a solo or a co-host or an interview format show to like marketing. It it really is everything you would ever want to know about uh, creating and running your own podcast. It's literally, you know, A to Z. Um, So if any of you listening ever were considering starting your own show, I think David Hooper's big podcast is the place to go. It's a terrific book. We're coming up on episode 200. I'm not going to make you say anything specific, but did you learn anything new inside that book? You don't have to give an example, but, you know, we've been doing this a while. We have been doing this a while, and some of it was, of course, some stuff I I knew and had already experienced firsthand. Um, There was some stuff about marketing uh, and making sure that um, you get the word out to potential listeners. I thought it was really interesting and stuff we might try in the future. Cool. So more book stuff. You know, I've been talking about Netminder for, what, three or four weeks now as we've gone through the launch cycle. It was a particularly amazing week this week. Uh, There were pictures that surfaced from a friend in New York that the first book in the Codename Winger series, which is Tracker Hacker, uh, is in the Pride window at Shakespeare and Company on the Upper West Side, uh, right near Lincoln Center. Which just kind of blew my mind that, you know, Tracker Hacker ended up in the window in New York City for Pride. It just, yeah. You watched my head explode when that happened. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for the sound effect. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, At the same time, uh, we also, well, you found that it was on, well, Netminder itself was on the Amazon hot list for LGBTQ young adult new releases. I didn't even know that list existed myself. But you found it lurking around number 27. And, you know, that's not number one, but my God, it's on that list. And it was on that list with like C.B. Lee and Julian Winters and Rainbow Royal and so many authors that I just am like gaga for that my book was just kind of hanging out in their company was pretty darn awesome. And this week, the Queer Sacramento Authors Group uh, actually read at Time Tested Books. And while I've read my work, at cons, I've read at GRL, I've read at Rainbow Con, I've read at Rainbow Book Fair, and I've read at the Lavender Library here in Sacramento. I've never read in a bookstore. And that was that meant something to me to actually read in a bookstore, you know, for people who come into bookstores to do readings. So it's it's been a pretty awesome week. <laughs> something I wanted to ask you, I mean, we've been covering the release of Netminder, the fourth and final book in the Codename Winger series. And we've been talking it off off and on for quite a while now, but we haven't really discussed what is your feeling about closing out this series? 
you've been working on it off and on for over two years now. Um, what yeah. does you know releasing book four kind of mean to you? Have you had a chance to think about that? I did a little bit because it, it's been it has been interesting knowing that I'm not going back into this world anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was really I wanted to close the series correctly when I pitched the books. It was pitched as four. And the story arc that I wanted to tell across this essentially a year of Theo's life from the first time he had to go into the field until what happens in Netminder, no spoilers here. Um, And I always knew that was that was as far as I could see the story, if you will, kind of in my head. Uh, But I wasn't completely sure it was going to be the end. And the more I wrote. In book four, the more I was like, yeah, this is this is the end of this moment for him. Um, and I wanted to make sure it was right. I think I mentioned on last week's show that, you know, I, I, I was aware of how people felt about Game of Thrones in that last season and that last episode <laughs> and those last, well, few episodes. And how unsatisfied we are occasionally about how things wrap up. And I wanted to make sure that it ended right, that it ended well, that this piece of his story and these character stories end well. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, I kind of want to write some more. <laughs> but I mean, to that end, and I don't know that we've alluded to this here, but I've talked a little bit about it on the Netminder tour, is that I have pitched the idea that the universe that I've created here to move it into adult romantic suspense as I've been reading so much the past year of Gregory Ashe and Layla Rain and Alice Winters and Max Walker, I'm really into romantic suspense right now. And writing these books, I got really into writing the suspense element. There's no romance in the Winger books. Theo's got his boyfriend and it's just life, you know, life goes on. Um, so I didn't introduce the romance in that, in that series. But to do that, I'm excited to do that. And the characters from the winger books will come into that series as like mission support and whatnot. But I don't know if I've answered your question at all, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it's been really fun to, to close it out and hopefully close it out. Right. It's really the first official series that I've done because the hat trick series back in the day was like an accidental series. It just kind of happened. Yeah. And it's interesting as I revisit those looking at how I will reclose that series and, and, and continue it in a universe later. But that's a story for a whole other podcast somewhere. <laughs> High school hockey player, computer whiz, covert agent. Theo Reese's life is split between being a normal teenager and a secret agent who goes by the code name Winger. After years of providing mission support from behind his keyboard, he's thrust into an unexpected world of adventure and danger. In Tracker Hacker, the first book in the Codename Winger series by Jeff Adams, it becomes personal for Theo, as an enemy organization compromises tactical operational support's agent tracker system. Among the missing agents, his father. Theo puts his life on the line to stop the hack and rescue his dad. Diverse Reader says, Wow, talk about a wild ride from beginning to end. I could not stop reading. Discover the world of Codename Winger with Tracker Hacker. Available in ebook, 
paperback, and audiobook as narrated by John Solo. So it was super exciting this past week, uh, getting to celebrate a little Pride Month with Tales of the City, which has returned to Netflix. We've talked about this on and off that we're really excited about it, and we have looked at the first three of ten hour-long episodes, and I have to say I'm so happy to be back on Barbary Lane. Oh, yeah. It was just wonderful to see, I think, in one of the very opening scenes, Ellen Page, who is playing Shauna, the sort of daughter of Brian and Marianne, uh, is arriving back on Barbary Lane, uh, getting ready for a birthday party to celebrate Anna Badrigal's 90th birthday. And it, it's just a delight. It gave me goosebumps um, seeing the stairs up to that house. Uh, and to revisit Laura Linney and Olympia Dukakis in their roles. Paul Gross is back as the original Brian. He was the original Brian in the very first miniseries. Uh, and just catching up with everybody, I... It felt like coming home in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1993 was the original, so it's been 25-ish years since the first one. And it's it's hard to explain because it was, I, I think for me, and I, I figured this out this week, this was really one of the first gay shows that I ever watched uh, because I wasn't out in 93 when this series first hit. Uh, although I was living in California and just about two years away from meeting you at that point. And it was it's magical to be back here. And I'm intrigued where it's going. The the overall mystery seems to be that someone knows Anna Madrigal is apparently a fraud. Ooh. So the the mystery of this of this series has already been set up, but I look forward to seeing where it goes. Uh, what was your feeling coming back to it? Well, like you, there is a certain sense of uh, nostalgia that is uh, very satisfied (laughs) by by watching this series. And like Jeff mentioned, we've only uh, binged the first three episodes so far, um, and we've enjoyed it uh, very much up to that point. Um, I think what's really nice is is that um, we essentially catch up with these like beloved characters uh, as they appear now in the present day. and I think what is kind of nice and um, an interesting take, it's not what they did in the previous miniseries, is is that um, this series is its own unique thing. Um, whereas before the miniseries were uh, specifically based on the books by Armistead Maupin, um, these sort of use um, the three more modern tales from the city uh, as sort of a jumping off point. Um, they contain all the same characters, but aren't constrained by the plots of the three, I guess, what we'll call the modern tales. Mm-hmm. Um, starting in 2007, Armistead uh, revisited all the classic characters, starting with uh, Michael Tolliver Lives, then there was Marianne and Autumn, and then finally the Days of Anna Mandrigal. Mm-hmm. And I thought when they first announced this series for Netflix that that's exactly what we were going to get. We were going to get adaptations of those specific books, but that isn't the case. And I think it's actually a really smart choice um, because they're not constrained by those those specific stories. Um, who knows? Those those plots and those books may uh, pop up. Uh, we mm-hmm. don't know yet. Um, but I think there's a, a freedom uh, that this series has um, 
and it means that um, if this uh, first run of 10 episodes is success, um, they can go on indefinitely, sure. creating new stories for um, all of these wonderful characters. So we are uh, very satisfied so far, uh, and think you will be too. So if you like Tales of the City, we highly recommend checking out Armistead Moppin's Tales of the City right now on Netflix. Yes, and I'm sure we will talk about it a little bit more as yeah. we... As we finish up those episodes, which will no doubt happen in the coming week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to devour those. Now, you went off on, on some reading this week and read two Unicorn Shifter books. Yeah, yeah. Sort of not not necessarily in honor of Pride Month. I gave these <laughs> unicorn books a try. Uh, they were something new and different. And... Uh, Let's just jump in. Um, <laughs> they're called Seriously Horny and Dangerously Horny. They're the first books in the Redneck Unicorns series by Piper Scott and Susie Hawk. Now, uh, the first book, Seriously Horny, finds unicorn uh, shifter Isaiah, and he is pure white trash. Um, <laughs> and how do we know this? It's because we're introduced to him as he's like settling in for the evening in his trailer with a bottle of his Pappy's Moonshine. Can I just say that I have never considered unicorns to be anything around white trash? <laughs> um, <laughs> these unicorns are. Uh, but he also happens to be an expert tracker. Um, because this is a paranormal romance, um, there's always an expert tracker. Um, so Isaiah is tasked with finding a missing teenage dragon shifter. And he runs into the kid's college-age brother, named Eric, and he's an irresistible dragon Omega. And they go to search together for Eric's brother. And one night in a motel room, they give in to their desires. And um, <laughs> trust me, this scene <laughs> lives up to the book's title. <laughs> Um, now, Eric has the power of second sight, uh, kind of like Faye Dunaway in The Eyes of Laura Mars. Okay. And so he sees where his brother lays injured. So Isaiah and Eric go find him and bring him back to the dragon compound where he can heal from his injuries. Um, Eric is, of course, with child after his night with Isaiah. And months later, we find our heroes happy and in love uh, and beginning their new life with their new family. It was really, really sweet. Uh, in book two, uh, Dangerously Horny, unicorn shifter Bo Luke finally gets up the nerve to tell Mitch just how he feels. But broken a broken down dragon is kind of, he's not an ideal match for someone so young. And the rejection hits Bo Luke. Bo Luke really hard and he runs off um, straight into the clutches of a crazed woman who has uncovered the secret of the unicorn clan and desperately wants to touch Bo Luke's horn. Oh. And yes, that euphemism means exactly what you think it means. Um, Mitch and some of his dragon shifter buddies are sent to go find Bo Luke. Uh, they rescue him and subdue his kidnapper. And because this is like a, a paranormal shifter impreg romance, uh, Omega Bo Luke finds himself in an uncomfortable situation, and Alpha Mitch is the only one who can scratch his particular itch. Mm -hmm. um, so they fuck, and <laughs> it's hot and amazing, and of course, like totally magical. Uh, Mitch's misgivings were like totally unfounded, and they are now faded mates. While waiting for their uh, child to be born, Bo Luke's stalker escapes custody and attempts to kidnap her unicorn obsession once again. Um, 
there's an action sequence that I thought was particularly badass when Mitch and the entire dragon clan like literally rain down fire on her Ooh. and they rescue Bo Luke one more time. Um, the story wraps up with a hilarious scene in which our heroes experience a very memorable wedding slash birthday. And it really warmed my heart. I thought it was uh, an adorable finale to the second book. Um, so if you can't tell, I thought these works, were, these books were like really funny and very charming, and I loved them an awful lot. Um, I was not really hesitant, but I thought I didn't really know what to expect. Uh, you know, opening up the pages of a unicorn shifter book. I mean, I've read you know other shifters, you know, like. Wolves, um, bear shifters are, of course, very popular, and, and I've, you know, sort of dabbled in some other alternate, uh, alternative shifters, uh, but this was my first unicorn book, uh, and I'm glad I gave them a shot. I really, really like them. Um, the covers of these books kind of tell you everything that you need to know. Um, the hot cover models clue you into the sexy times ahead, while the titles, which are, like, totally camp, um, <laughs> tell you that these romances are also about the humor, um, you know, kind of like humor with heart again i love both of these stories and i think they're a fantastic way to kick off a new series um really quickly while redneck unicorns is a continuation of the author's previous dragon series um they stand alone just fine i had no uh problem following the plot or understanding the world building that was going on very cool and you did i mean you raved on these pretty oh, yeah. much all week yeah <laughs> you've been you've been in these this week and it's like oh my god these are amazing <laughs> <laughs> and you've already liked Susie hawk a lot you've oh, talked yeah. about her books yeah. a number of times yeah. here so very cool remember if you want more details on the books or anything else we mentioned in this episode you only need to go to the show notes on the biggayfictionpodcast.com website and check out episode 192 did you know that podcasts love to get reviews too? Taking a moment to leave a review about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast helps us with the show's visibility online. Please take a moment to visit iTunes and leave a review. Your comments help other readers of gay romance discover this show. Thanks for helping us spread the word about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. So this week I got to talk to Aiden Wayne. I fell in love with their book, Play It Again, a few weeks back. And we actually just recently shared a book birthday because Hitting the Mark came out the same day as Netminder. So we're definitely talking about that book, about Play It Again, and about a book they've still got to come later this summer. So we get to that. Yeah. Welcome, Aiden, to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. It's an interesting experience for me. Never done this before. Oh, cool. First podcast. Yeah. Always first fun to time. have people doing their first podcast with us. Now, You've had a busy few months of releases, and we want to talk about the most recent one first, which is Hitting mm -hmm. the Mark. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that book and what inspired it. Okay, so Hitting the Mark um, is, in a nutshell, it's about a famous movie star uh, named Marcus Economides, who uh, used to train in martial arts when he was really young and really shy, and that helped him come out of his shell. And then he moves and... Um, being in martial arts actually helps him become more confident and he ends up getting a movie role and that spirals and then becomes a famous, and 10 years later he's a famous movie star who's also famous for doing his own stunts. Meanwhile, um, in Marcus's hometown essentially, his original school houses um, 
Choi's Taekwondo Academy that is now run by Taemin Choi. Um, Taemin was Marcus's kind of assistant instructor going, growing up. They're about 10 years apart. So when Marcus was 10, Taemin was like in his early 20s. And um, Taemin runs the school now. And Marcus happens to be coming back into town for a shoot, and he decides to pay a visit to his old school and kind of nostalgia. He lost uh, contact with Taman when he moved, um, and so they kind of wants to like bridge the gap again, just like say hi, see what happens, and then they do meet with Marcus being an adult, and um, you know there's kind of an instant connection, and then it, the entire book is essentially about them navigating first relearning each other because it's they they knew each other for several years but it's been several more years since they actually talked again so they're relearning who they are as people especially Marcus as he's grown into his own self and uh that turns into you know uh, a romantic relationship and um they're just figuring out how to be in one considering that you know Marcus is this famous person and Taman is a very busy man who runs his own school and takes care of a lot of things and just that's the story, basically. Um, I do a lot of character-based uh, stories um, where the plot is kind of like playing the course um, as opposed to like a person antagonist, sort of. Uh, so that was it's kind of like another one of those things for me. Mm -hmm. And it, it ticks so many boxes because there's friends to lovers and second chances and an age yeah. gap. I, I tend to, when I write, sometimes I have several different things that I want to include in various ideas and so sometimes when I have like the base I'm just like let's just squish them all together let's just <laughs> push them all in one thing and see what happens and if I can pull it off and you mentioned when we were emailing to set this interview up that this is one of the books you didn't have to do a ton of research on because movies, <laughs> movies and martial arts you, you had the knowledge there what aspects of your background you know play into that uh, well, um, I've been involved in martial arts for about 20 years now. Um, I primarily Taekwondo, um, and that's the style that I have Taemin doing because I know the most about Taekwondo and, and Korean style. Um, I technically have my black belt in two disciplines. Uh, one is Taekwondo and the other is a mixed type of martial art um, that I actually ended up teaching. I used to run a school. Uh, so a lot of my experience did transfer over into, you know, Taman's, you know, experiences and running a school and dealing with students and various like endeavors that are required. Um, and uh, with uh, movies, um, I actually majored in media production in college. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was on movie sets a lot, both behind the camera and also growing up, I was I kind of dabbled in acting and I've been in front of the camera a lot too, including on some big sets. Michigan um, used to be a pretty big movie hub before um, the tax thing happened and a lot of places moved away from it. And uh, I w was actually on um, a few different like SAG films. Uh, so I got to kind of be both in front of the camera and behind the camera. So learning about like all that aspect was it was fun to basically shove as much knowledge as I could, especially the martial arts, into one book because I have such a love for martial arts that it was like, let's include inside jokes and inside knowledge. And I've never had to spell this Korean word in English before, so I have to probably look that up. And fun fact, actually, uh, is not not going to spoil anything, but um, the one of the plot points is Taemin uh, working towards uh, uh, an Olympic 
uh, Olympics. He's uh, qualified for the qualification. And uh, that entire piece is actually based on a coworker of mine I used to work with who did enter the, um, who did qualify for the Olympic matches. Incredible. You really, you did stuff a lot in here in terms of all of your knowledge kind of went into this book. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was, it was kind of, it was a nice break. I still had to do research obviously because I had to like refresh some things and again, like Korean, um, making sure that I got that right. Um, but for a lot of it, like I have another book that I, I released uh, late last year, His Two Leading Men, which takes place in New York with a Broadway star. And I'm like, I like Broadway. I can just write about plays. That's fine. No, I ended up having to like map out the entire city to like figure out distances to like <laughs> whichever rest. I'm I'm crazy. Whichever restaurant he'd like go to, which is closer, what his where his laundromat was. Like it was. I, I'm absolutely ridiculous when it comes to stuff like that. Um, nobody's gonna notice but me, but like I, I care. <laughs> but the native New Yorkers might, and so yeah, it matters. Yeah, I, like, I have stopped myself in books, going, "That's not right." I know where that is, and that doesn't work that way. <laughs> so you do work Michigan into a lot of your books. Hitting the mark is in Michigan. Play it again, which we'll dive more into in just a second, is has a Michigan element simply because you have somebody sending. Uh, David, the main character, uh, some Fago Red Pop and some other Michigan treats, some Mackinac and fudge included. Um, yeah. Obviously, you live in Michigan. Is it something you try to work in to the books, a little Michigan angle? Uh, kind of. Half of it is write what you know because I'm thoroughly uncreative when it comes to that. And it's way easier to just like, I don't have to make something up. I don't have to do more research. I just can set it in Farmington Hills or wherever it is. Um, but uh, sometimes it's because I have like certain places in mind or I want to include certain things. Like with David uh, receiving a care package, I I wanted to make sure that I had a care package that really was, you know, you know, state based and was really cool and could, you know, include especially a lot of food because a lot of, you know, David being blind, a lot of his uh, things are food based. That's like part of his shtick. Um, so he like reacts to tastes and stuff. So knowing that I have my own experience with various Michigan cuisines and snacks and stuff, I could include that pretty easily and know that it would ring true, but also be kind of funny. And even if a person didn't necessarily know what things were, it would still like be something that they could get. Speaking of play it again. Yes. That I reviewed back in 186 and really, really loved it. It was like the book I didn't know I needed at the time. Thank you. And it's quite different from hitting the mark. What was the inspiration behind this tale of two YouTubers who managed to find love even though they live half a world apart? Well, uh, going back to my I have various ideas but squish them all together into <laughs> one sometimes – um, I really, really wanted to showcase a blind character. A lot of the characters that I do showcase um, are disabled in some way or have, you know, different aspects of their life that are uh, typical, you know, part of uh, normative parts of society, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I apologize if my verbiage isn't the best. And I really wanted to showcase a blind character, but uh, obviously I didn't want to fetishize that I wanted him to be successful and happy and not be just blind as his character uh if that makes sense mm -hmm. and i thought youtube would be a fun angle for that and on the other side i really wanted to focus on like a let's player because i thought 
that it would be fun to try to like figure out how to write that because it's so much narration and video audio based. Um, and I like playing and like, can I do this? I, I will see if I can. <laughs> so making it a long distance relationship was also kind of something that sort of happened because long distance relationships, specifically internet based ones are very important to me because I have several um, relationships that started being internet only. And I consider a lot of these people some of my closest friends and I've met many of them in person now. Uh, one of my friends, I've only ever met them once and um, it was in uh, our first meeting ever. We then spent two weeks together, but our first meeting ever was in Naruto Airport in Tokyo, where we both flew separately and then spent two weeks in Japan together. So like, yeah, there's, there's a lot that can come from internet relationships. And I really wanted to showcase something like that too. And I imagine here that the research was more than hitting the mark because you needed to make sure that David was portrayed in the way that you wanted to, where, you know, he wasn't necessarily defined by the blindness. Oh, yeah. I do extensive research whenever I write, especially disabled characters, because there's, you know, you there's so much misinformation out there. And it's so easy to fall into the trap of what media has portrayed a person to be like or to do, um, as opposed to actually reading experiences and watching experiences about, you know, real people. Um, I kind of posed this question to myself on uh, Twitter a while back, but it was basically, how does one write about a successful blind YouTuber? Watch a lot of successful blind YouTubers, basically. Mm. So I watched um, a lot of like, uh, the Tommy Edison experience is a man uh, who is blind and he has a lot of Q and A's on YouTube. Um, some of, a lot of his videos are older and he's an older gentleman but it was still you know very informative. He has like an episode about cooking, which um, David uh, is the chef of his little uh, family where he lives with his sister, Rachel. So it was interesting to like make sure that I was, you know, portraying his ability to do that correctly and like different tools that he'd use. Molly Burke is also a YouTuber that um, she does uh, makeup and fashion. She's a, but you know, how she interacts, you know, with her audience and, you know, interacts with herself and the things that are important to her, her experiences, because she does talk, talk about that as well was, you know, very important. There is a Tumblr called Actually Blind that did Q&As and did a lot of commentary on different things and responded to different situations where, uh, you know, visual impairment <clears throat> uh, affected daily life or was not considered. And Actually Blind was a, a huge help in doing a lot of research because even when I didn't actually ask the question myself, sometimes they just talked about things that I hadn't thought about before. So that was, um, you know, a really good thing to notice. Like, for instance, um, they talked about, they had a post about the fact that the, the face touch thing um, in so many, like, books and so many movies is, like, absolutely ludicrous. And no blind person really does that. Um, and because it was uh, made up by a sighted person who thought that it was kind of, like, romantic and intimate to have the, the blind person, like, touch the other person's face to see what they looked like. And um, actually blind was like, no, that, no. Uh -uh. <laughs> so it was, you know, something that I didn't include then. And I might have if I hadn't read something like that. Mm -hmm. The research is, is oh so important. Absolutely. I, absolutely. Um, and um, I do, you know, a lot of sensitivity readers too. I, I have a, a short story that 
is going to be coming out probably in October, because I'm spacing it out a little bit, uh, where one of the main characters is in a wheelchair. So luckily, I'm like, hey, sibling, I'm going to answer you some, I'm going to ask you some wheelchair questions and know about how my experiences in, you know, living with somebody who has, uh, uses a mobility aid and all that. So mm -hmm. proper portrayal is really important to me. And you have still yet another type of story coming out <laughs> with your upcoming YA novel, Stage Presence. And I'm, yes. I'm fascinated by this one because you're, you're taking us to Disney, the Disney college program. Yes. Uh, do you have experience in that or was that a ton more of research? And of course, what also is this book about? Because it sounds just delightful. Uh, well, uh, thank you. I, I hope it is delightful. I hope people enjoy it. Um, and to your answer, yes and yes. I <laughs> did experience, I did do the Disney College program quite a many years ago. Um, but I also did um, do a lot of research uh, with for the story. Um, in part because, you know, Disney updates and changes things. So some of the things I had to look up was the current menus of stuff. Because, again, it's like a tiny little detail that only I will notice, but I cared about. Um, but I also had to make sure that I was getting details right in terms of uh, characters. Because uh, one of the main characters, Ashley, with two E's, is a Disney princess, literally. I did a lot of research into behind the scenes of that a little bit. Um, I watched a lot of like ex-princess interviews and you know uh, posts about about the experience of being a character performer. I didn't have a lot of experience in in that capacity. I knew some people who were friends with characters um, while I was in the program, and I did ask you know I did learn about it that way. But um, princesses, I had to learn a little bit more. Uh, and oh yeah, what the book is about two girls who both um, get onto the Disney college program and end up as roommates. One, uh, Dana, is a kind of, uh, you know, calm, cool, collected, very down-to-earth, uh, logical girl um, who is kind of like, you know, she's going into international business. She's excited about working at a Fortune 500 company. She's looking forward to living away from home. Uh, she's trans. Um, so, you know, that's just another aspect of who she is as a person. And um, she's kind of like not sure about how she's going to get along with people, but she kind of has the mindset of judge people before they judge you sort of thing because of past experiences. Meanwhile, on the other side, um, Ashley with two E's uh, <laughs> loves Disney. I know it was, it's a very important detail. She loves Disney. Um, she's a Disney file. She loves all the movies. She loves all the songs. Um, she, you know, gets cast as an actual Disney princess. This is her dream come true. Um, she's been dancing since she was little, so one of her goals is to be like a parade performer Disney princess, essentially. And she's super excited. She's from good old Southern Georgia um, and has never really, you know, met somebody who's not kind of exactly like her and her like little clique, parps, you know, popular, excited, happy group. Um, so she doesn't really know what trans means. Um, and you know, she was born around that she, she knows what the internet is, but still you, it's different from knowing and meeting and like actually talking to somebody and actually interacting. Mm -hmm. And then, so Ashley's kind of ignorant and Dana is kind of standoffish and they hate each other. A good portion of the book is just them hating each other. Um, and eventually of course, uh, a couple of different things happen and they turn into like, begrudging friendship, which turns into actual friendship, which turns into more. And uh, it was 
you know, writing the evolution of like enemies to lovers, which is something that I hadn't done before, really. Mm -hmm. um, and integrating, you know, different aspects of their situation and being roommates and, you know, living in such close quarters and like what constitutes that kind of relationship too, especially while you do not like each other and then as friends and then, you know, once you're more intimate as well. So that was like a, like a you know, whole encompassing aspect of the story itself. And, and now it sounds even more delightful than when I read the blur. <laughs> oh, yay. Good. I had a lot of fun. It was, you know, I tend to, I like my stories, which is, you know, a fun thing to be able to say because a lot of them I think just kind of get defined as fun. Um, there are obviously elements of angst and stuff and, you know, negativity that happens. But I have fun, you know, writing them. I hope that people have fun reading them. What got you into writing and, and going towards MM romance in particular? Well, I've always been a, a storyteller. Um, my dad also, he, when we were kids, he would like make up bedtime stories. We, we got read to a lot too, but he would make them up. Um, so I, I grew up with the elements of imagination as something that you could play with and figuring out different elements of what characters could do. Um, really, uh, um, you know, being totally honest, fan fiction, uh, I was really, really interested in ElfQuest as a kid. Um, it is a fantasy novel by Wendy and Richard Penny. Uh, and man, I, I was an ElfQuest fan. Like I read and kind of I, I actually own I collected almost all of the books and volumes and um, you know made up as like a tiny little nine-year-old like self inserts in my head of being you know an elf with such and such power and like being part of the you know self insert stuff and um, as I got into more media growing up um, I really enjoyed reading and writing fan fiction because it was a way to interact with the something that I enjoyed so much past where the media itself went. And sometimes things happen that you didn't like, so you could make them better by writing it yourself or reading it by other people who did a good job or further exploring the world that had already been created with characters you already liked. Um, and from there, it was kind of like, oh, I could do this with my own characters <laughs> and make whatever I want to happen, happen. What? Oh. And the real the kickoff was when I was, I don't know, like 15, I participated in my first NaNoWriMo. And that was the first, like, write a lot of words and also write them really quickly. So you couldn't think too much about what you were doing, you know, quote unquote wrong. And uh, it was, you know, I wrote 50,000 words in, you know, the, the 30 days and man, I still have it. And it really portrays what I was into, what I was learning and what I was experimenting with as a 15 year old, because it is a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I kept, I really enjoyed doing that. And I kind of just kept at it. And eventually I had a friend who I really admired, Mina McLeod, who uh, was also a writer uh, that I was friends with at the time. And she was talked about entering like a, an a, a anthology and encouraged me to also, you know, submit a story, a piece. And I did, and we both got in and I still have the copy of the book where we're both in the anthology, me and this writer that I really admire. And that was like, that was really cool. And from there I went, Oh wait, 
I, that publishing is possible, that it's a thing that actually can happen to like real human people as opposed to just authors who are these <laughs> untouchable people on pedestals. So I, my next book that I wrote was written with publishing in mind. That was loud and clear. And uh, it was my, you know, technically my first original, original piece. Speaking of smushing everything together at once, um, that book is about a, a man who uh, is so dyslexic, he is essentially illiterate, and a businessman who has a stutter so bad that he is a selective mute, falling in love and entering into a relationship. So you've got someone who can't read and someone who communicates through writing. Um, and I was like, let's just make this as complicated for myself as possible. That's a good idea. But yeah, you know, for a first book, you took out yeah. a lot there. <laughs> it was, it was, you know, it suffers from an overuse of italics, but it's still something that I really, I really appreciate that I did as a writer. I really like it. I had a lot of people uh, really like the fact that I, you know, portrayed people that way. And of course, it does focus on um, in non-normative people with disabilities and challenges in, you know, typical normal society. The illiteracy was actually based on a friend of mine who is illiterate. Um, his dyslexia is so bad, he is effectively illiterate. He's also an engineer. So, you know, it doesn't stop you. It, it doesn't have to stop you um, as long as you have the right elements and encouragement and, you know, resources. And that's what a lot of people do struggle with. Um, uh, like he had to be homeschooled because his, his school that his parents had put him in originally were like, we don't know what to do with this child. So mm -hmm. being homeschooled allowed him to learn and actually grow and actually learn. I have a suspicion a little bit where this next question at least will go a little <laughs> bit given the elf quest uh, yeah. things, but what authors and genres do you tend to read? Basically everything but gore horror, to be honest. <laughs> um, I really enjoy contemporary pieces. I like fantasy. I, I really like nonfiction. I love learning stuff. This is probably not a surprise considering my need for research. Um, my favorite author in the entire world is Terry Pratchett. Um, that probably will never change. Um, the man was absolutely brilliant, and his ability to tell stories and well-rounded characters and development and plot and his, you know, care in structure and how he's able to, you know, tie things up all neat with, you know, no questions except for, like, what could happen next? He's he's absolutely amazing. Um, I really admire him. If I had like a tenth of his ability to just like story weave, I'd be you know content in my ability to create. One of the other authors I really enjoy. He's a very lesser known author, but Barry Hughhart. He wrote Bridge of Birds. Um, that is a uh, Chinese fantasy mythology story, which basically happens in uh, historical China, but is written as if mythology was real. And uh, he's, he's also like a very unknown and should be more known author for what he's able to do with creativity. Other books that I, you know, appreciate, I, I enjoy a lot of Tamora Pierce's work, um, especially the Kelladry series, um, uh, because I really enjoyed her portrayal of like a, a woman, a, a girl growing up and wanting to be a knight and fighting and dealing with a lot of the prejudices that come from you know, girls trying to do anything that boys like to do. Uh, so, you know, those pieces. And she also is um, essentially, she's written as not really interested in 
amorous connection, so to speak. And uh, Tamora Pierce did end up saying that she did write her as a sexual, even though she didn't like really know the term at the time. So that was really appreciated. Oh, uh, that dovetailed a lot. MM romance. Yes. Okay. There is a lot of het romance out there and that's fine. It's, you know, that's got a market for a reason. It can be very well done. Me personally, it's done by other people. Well, and I gravitated more towards queer characters. Um, MM romance, it was easier for me to write because it was easier for me, not necessarily to identify with the characters, but write about them in ways I wanted to, um, you know, with gentler portrayals and, you know, different, different um, effects. I wouldn't say that I particularly write like alpha men males sort of thing. Uh, because it's not really something that appeals to me personally as uh, an author or as a person. Uh, I'd like people who are settled into themselves and know who they are and may be confident, may be inconfident, for instance, and play it again. You know, David is this very confident individual who, you know, knows who he is and is really happy with himself. And Sam is uh, much shyer and is racked with anxiety all the time, but they're both human. Um, I like portraying queer people as human, uh, and I think that's why I gravitated towards it first. I, I think, I'm not super sure why I write MM mostly, it's just because it's, it is a little bit easier for me to, I, I guess, it does come back to identification. I've written one, I have one published female-centric uh, romance, uh, which I, I do really like. It's called Making Love, uh, which I think is one of my favorite titles ever. It's about a succubus and a cupid falling in love. Whoops. Called making love. I was very proud of that. (laughs) (laughs) And it's, it's, it's adorable. It's very cute. It's very loving. It's really soft. And you know, Carla, the cupid is, um, just like made of cotton candy and, um, love sweets and is really happy and bubbly. And Lisa, the succubus is kind of cool and, you know, has had reason to put up a lot of walls. And then it's just like Carla melts her heart. And it's, it's so cute. It's, it's, it's very silly. But like, you know, a lot of my reviews were like, it's cute, but cheesy. And I'm like, yes, that was exactly what I (laughs) It's called making love. What were you expecting? And then um, same thing with uh, stage presence, you know, both the main characters are female. Um, uh, Dana is trans. Uh, I really enjoy portraying Again, like different aspects and different facets of queer people being human. They they make coffee and they are grumpy and they might have disabilities or other challenges in life. And they also like stuff and are bad at things and aren't just like one cutout of a representation that, you know, people have one idea about. Mm-hmm. I like character driven stories. Queer people deserve happy endings, too. That's the other thing. Yeah, absolutely on that one for sure. Yeah. So we know stage presence is is coming up here soon. Mm. What else is coming for you this year? Um, well, I mentioned it briefly. I have a um, another it, a short story that I had been kind of working on off and on. Um, I was calling it Baker Story on Twitter, and I did name it Not So Cookie Cutter or something terrible like that because every single one of my titles you may or may not know this every single one of my titles are puns or play on words because i'm ridiculous and i love (laughs) it 
Yeah, so um, the book Bakery Story is called Not So Cookie Cutter. I'm probably going to release it around October. It's about two um, POC characters, which I did get sensitivity readers for because that was important to me. Jarrell, who is a baker at like a cafe coffee shop, and Rafi, who is uh, um, a you know client who falls in love with Jarrell's pumpkin cheesecake, essentially. And... Um, Romance. They're cute. It's cute. Um, one of my favorite things about the story is um, Rafi uh, uses a wheelchair. And uh, Jarrell is so smitten by Rafi that he doesn't notice for like two chapters. that Because Rafi's sitting down when he's uh. you know at the cafe. And Jarrell is just like, oh my gosh, this handsome, amazing human being who is talking to me like he thinks I'm cute. That's okay and then like when Rafi actually like moves in front of him and he rolls a rage I was like oh my god I'm an idiot this is fine I'm an idiot <laughs> um, so nice that's a, that, that'll be one to look forward to this fall yeah I think you know it's cute cute and dumb that's kind of my most <laughs> what's the best way for everyone to keep up with you online Twitter is mostly what I use um, A-I-D-A-N-W-A-Y-N-E is my Twitter handle username thing. And uh, that's primarily where I am. I use, I have a, a website too. And if you go to my website, there's an option to sign up for my mailing list. And mailing lists is kind of how I send out like information about releases to people. Um, but I don't like inundate people with mail. It's just like, I release. Yay. Here it is. Yay. Cool. We will link to those as well as all of the great stuff that we've talked about in this interview. Aiden, cool. thank you so much for hanging out with us. It has been a delight talking to you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Um, again, I'm ridiculous, so I appreciate being able to be ridiculous on a podcast. That's cool. Um, and yeah, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. This week's interview transcript was brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the author interview for yourself, simply go ahead to the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. And thanks to Aiden for hanging out for a little bit. It was a delight to talk to them about their books. I'm really looking forward to stage presence. It sounds so adorable mm -hmm. about this, this Disney college camp oh, and yeah. the Disney yeah. princesses. Oh, my God. Uh, it's interesting that we share yet another birthday because Stage Presence will come out on June 25th, which is my actual birthday. Yay, lots of reasons <laughs> to celebrate. Okay, guys, I think that's going to do it for this week's show. Just a quick reminder before we go, the Big Gay Fiction Podcast has its very own Patreon page. Now, Patreon is a way for fans to engage with all kinds of artists and writers, uh, musicians, and also podcasters as well. It's a great way to support the kinds of creative content that you enjoy the most. If you're curious about what kind of bonus material we deliver to our fans every month, just go to patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. Now, coming up in episode 193, we talked to Layla Rainey about her brand new Fog City series. Yes, I've, I've adored Prince of Killers. I've had it read for months, and I finally get to talk about it <laughs> next week. This book comes out, actually, on Monday, June 10th. I could already tell you that you need to go pick this up if you're a romantic suspense fan, but Layla will be here to tell us all about it next week. Fantastic. So, guys, remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. Until next time, everyone, please keep turning those pages and keep reading. For detailed show notes and links to everything discussed in this episode, go to b
BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday at all major podcast distributors. You can also find us on YouTube. I'm Derek McLean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.